Welcome to the Digital Therapeutics edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. In the last episode, and this two-part deep dive inside the Digital Therapeutics Alliance, I spoke to Megan Coder, the Executive Director for the DTA. So if you haven't heard it yet, just scroll back one episode in your favorite podcast player to hear our discussion. But today, I'm excited to chat with Jessica Schull, European Lead for the DTA. But before we dive in, I remember meeting Jessica in Sitges, Spain, near Barcelona, at a HIMSS-EU Health 2.0 event. Jessica struck me as a sharp, composed, and super knowledgeable, and of course, a great addition to the DTA. With Jessica's leadership, the DTA expanded its coverage across Europe, LATAM, and Australia. And now we jump to my conversation with Jessica Schull. Jessica, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what brought you to uh, Digital Therapeutics, and more specifically, Digital Therapeutics Alliance? Well... Hello, Eugene, first of all. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's kind of a long story who I am and how I got here because I've been in digital health for 20 years. And so I started out as a medical biovisualization specialist working on 3D anatomy using the visible human building in Washington, D.C., uh, virtual surgery simulators. And this was you know, high-tech, super-funded NIH, you know, DARPA, DOD grant kind of stuff. And I learned a lot in that company, though. It was a startup, and we built simulators, which were then sold. It was sold to Laerdal eventually, that company. But just how to work between you know, the tech developers, the haptics engineers, the surgeons, and, and the funders, and the patients, and the you know, everyone involved. There was such a, it's a different language and set of requirements for each area, let's say. And so. And a specialty, right? I mean, everybody sort of was an expert in a particular area, right? Exactly. And they didn't really know the other areas of expertise. And so I was oftentimes just liaison between all of them. But um, that taught me a lot about what could be accomplished in digital health. And so from there, I wanted to go a bit more broad, like what could be actually accessed by a more you know, global population. And so I moved to Europe in 2005 and started working for the WHO uh, and the what was then called eHealth program in countries like Rwanda and it was a, the other side of the coin, let's say, just a complete low resource and what could be done in digital health there. And after six, seven years on and off with WHO, I worked with World Bank and, and through different projects and so forth. eHealth became mHealth, which became digital health. And I ended up in Barcelona to do a PhD and here began working with requirements for the way countries could actually adopt and integrate M Health tools, and started with the uh, UK actually at Nice, and I began working at a hospital. So I've been at a hospital here in Barcelona for about two years, working on all kinds of projects, including clinical trials, which has given me insight as to what you know, physicians and research and, and clinical trials actually entail. Um, so all of that brought me to the Digital Therapeutics Alliance, and when they needed someone to take over or to even you know, start embark on what was happening in Europe for digital therapeutics. And when, when was that? What year was that? That was 2018 um, as a strategic advisor. That's the way I started and then came on more full-time after that once we realized there was a lot of work to be done in Europe. There's a lot happening here. So <laughs> I know, uh, first of all, I think you forgot the word connected health. I mean, you had mHealth, digital health. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, oh, right. th th there's all kinds, <laughs> right? But um 
So, you know, from one perspective, 2018 was just around the corner, right? Like feels like yesterday. On the other side, uh, it's been two years. I know in the last six months ish, there's just been a slew of announcements. And I think with the pandemic kind of speeding us up as far as, you know, approvals for digital therapeutics, what have you seen in these last two, two and a half years change within the DTA, its focus, but also, I guess, in broadly in the space? So maybe start a little bit broader and then we kind of go into the DTA, if any changes. Yes, things have changed a lot for the industry. Um, digital therapeutics, when the alliance first started, weren't even known as a, a name, as a category. So the alliance was instrumental in getting the definition published, recognized, and it's still something I have to say that we spend a lot of time emphasizing because it can be misused, the term digital therapeutics. There is consensus being created, but it's, it's still not globally recognized. And so um, that's been a, a huge piece of the work because... Definition matters. These are, in Europe, medical devices with CE marks. They have evidence. They have a series of regulatory requirements. And so we're not talking about monitoring or you know tracking apps. And so that was a big part of the beginnings. And the industry since then has changed drastically in the sense that there are now multiple products already integrated into healthcare systems around the world, Europe in particular. And of course, last year, Germany wrote and passed this Digital Care Act, which now nationally allows for the reimbursement of digital therapeutics and other DIGA. So there's been you know, leaps and bounds, changes across the board. Yeah, and we'll, we'll obviously get into a little bit. I, uh, I'm curious about Europe. I think everybody uses Germany as the example, but I know, you know, NICE is doing all the work. But let's let just pause on that because one of the things you uh, interestingly you said, you know, the, um, the actual description and the definition of digital therapeutics, as it's been defining, you know, my, my question always, and I kind of look at some companies and say, well, is it, you know, a prescription digital therapeutic with all the science and rigor behind it? And or is there a novel health service, which are also starting to call themselves digital therapeutic, right? So I'm kind of curious where you look at from a definition perspective and, you know, whether you can give examples of one or the other, because I know members of the DTA are both prescription digital therapeutics like PEAR, for example, and others. So let's dive a little bit deeper into the definition of uh, and the difference between DTX as a PDT prescription and a health service. So there are members that do all kinds of things and the way that the products are sold, I can't really speak to that. But the term prescription in a sense in Europe doesn't really matter because anything in Germany will be prescribed, whether it's a DTX or not, I mean, under this DIGA law. And so the same holds true in the UK, the same holds true in France. And so we don't really need to say prescription. And if it is offered by an insurance company or offered by a private hospital, it may not be prescribed, but it is still a digital therapeutic. So that's a bit fuzzy, but of course, the evidence is still there regardless of how it's delivered. Mm -hmm. So I think as frameworks become more robust and numerous in Europe, the prescription will be the norm. And so that, yeah. that's almost unnecessary in Europe to say that. However, you know, to distinguish if it helps emphasize the fact that these products are clinically evaluated and rigorously tested and have clinical trials behind them published in peer-reviewed journals, great. The main thing we want to communicate though is that these products are software interventions that move a clinical endpoint for a specific disease in a patient. Mm -hmm. And so if an endpoint is not reached and improved, it's not a digital therapeutic. 
Well, that sounds pretty crystal clear, right? <laughs> Uh, of course, there's nuances, right, uh, as well, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, as you dig deeper. Uh, and, and that's, I think, part of the challenge. But um, l- yeah, let's switch gears because you mainly cover Europe, right? Mm-hmm. And I think Australia, we, we talked about, and some Latin America countries. So at a broader level, and I know, you know, for our American listeners, Europe is not Europe. There's, you know, many, 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 many countries and everybody has their own rules, regulations, etc. So maybe contrast at a higher level, kind of Europe, Australia, and some of the countries that you cover in Latin America, and then we'll dive deeper into Europe. Yeah, so Europe is, of course, the EU plus the UK plus Switzerland, and a lot of you know differences among those countries. Um, however, most countries in Europe are single payer. The one interesting country I think that people maybe don't realize is that Netherlands used to be single payer, is now nearly 100% private. However, it's still required to have a health insurance, and so. And they're quite open to looking at innovation. So anyway, there's a broad range of ways to approach incorporating DTX across those kinds of countries. In terms of Australia, so I haven't been able to go there actually since um, <laughs> this yeah. whole COVID thing. But, Understood. <laughs> but I would love to because there's a lot happening there actually. And the TGA, which is the Therapeutic Goods Administration, their FDA, let's say, are looking at um, digital tools and coming up with a new kind of framework to be published in, I believe, February. So what we're doing is working with groups in Australia to ensure that you know, we can be aware of all those changes and developments. And the same goes in South Korea. In South America, there's a lot less published and done for digital therapeutics, but all countries, because of COVID, of course, are highly aware that telemedicine is, is needed and needs to be paid for, needs to be supported. And thus, this is sort of a, a portal into a wider world of digital medicine and digital therapeutics. And so I'm engaging with and coming up with ways to communicate to a broader range of physicians in South America and Central America through just having our documents distributed and holding webinars now and then. And, and of course, I'm sure translating it to so many languages just all around the world for DTA, right, as well. Yeah, and it's interesting because you know, digital therapeutics in English, so then in French, it's therapie um, numérique, you know, so there are different terms. And in Germany, too, you know, DIGA includes digital therapeutics. Mm-hmm. And so we're having to sort of understand how to align these categories that overlap, but maybe not 100%. So maybe, uh, and I know there's been quite a lot of podcasts and talks done on DIGA. uh, That's been kind of the little bit of the shiny light in the EU. So maybe spend a little bit of time describing and uh, what DIGA does actually for the entrepreneurs or digital therapeutics in general. But then I want to contrast because I do believe that, you know, UK with NICE uh, is not that far behind. I know Belgium and, you know, a few others, but uh, you've been virtually at least these days traveling around Europe. So let's start with DIGA. Yeah, so DIGA is interesting. The whole DIGA framework, the fast track, is interesting because, like you say, um, NICE has been doing a lot of evaluation work and they have this evaluation framework, which is very solid. However, it does not lead to reimbursement. It's a necessary step, but it does not mean you'll be reimbursed. Whereas the bee farm framework, if you are accepted, you're automatically in line to be reimbursed as long as doctors prescribe your product. And so they've gone one step further even than NICE. And you know, the UK is just an interesting country because you know, fantastic healthcare, the NHS is loved. They're looking always at how to integrate and improve and become innovative. NHSX is doing a great job now of trying to incorporate AI into all kinds of things. However, still to have a product distributed across the country from a central NHS is impossible. 
So companies go CCG to CCG, which is clinical commissioning group to clinical commissioning group to have their product recognized and adopted um, in little pockets around the country, which, you know, is a way to do it, but it's a little more slow going than the German method right now. And Belgium, France, you know, just contrast a little bit there where are those some of the additional countries are. Sure. So Belgium is, to me, uh, they don't get enough recognition because not only have they now developed this three-step pyramid for integrating and reimbursing for digital therapeutics, which they're calling the M-Health pyramid because it may be a tablet, whatever, but they're still calling it M-Health. And it may also be for things that are diagnostic, which digital therapeutics are not. So they developed this pyramid, which is, you know, first level being CE-MAR, second level being interoperable with the whole Belgian system. And the interesting thing is that it's interoperable with the entire nation because they also, in the last couple of years, have made their whole system interoperable nationally in three languages across you know, mental health and hospital care. So really impressive work. Um, it's not all completely, you know, things are not all quite worked out yet. Um, there has been one product now approved for national reimbursement. It's sort of a test case. But already their site, you, anyone can log in and see how many products are going through the pyramid process. There are, I think, 15 or so at level one, I think six or seven at level two, and one at level three, which is reimbursed. But the products can be used in Belgium, even if they're not at level three, but just you have to find your own hospital and, and way to have it integrated. Uh, it, which is interesting, right? Because one of the questions I, w I had, you, you kind of interestingly said for DIGA, as long as it's prescribed and kind of similar, if you think about, you know, hop over to UK, you're cutting deals with CCGs at the very local level. And what sounded like, you know, in Belgium, so if you're not level one at the national level, you're kind of selling or trying to sell across, again, probably hospital systems or regions. What is your at least perception on the prescribability. So how many doctors are actually aware of it? How do they become aware of it, right? I mean, if you follow the normal molecular pharma model, there's a lot of education going on, a lot of spent on marketing, et cetera, and engaging the physicians. Mm -hmm. Can you contrast a little bit to the digital therapeutics world? So I think in the UK, it depends because for instance, there are products that have been offered in large CCGs, um, like you know, the greater London area, offered to everyone. And so those are paid for, and then people can just subscribe. So it depends a bit on the model. So I think in Germany, the difference is that physicians, and similar to the UK, if physicians aren't aware, if they don't understand the value, they're not going to say, yes, okay, I'll prescribe. And so this is something actually that we've been working on with stakeholders in Germany to come up with either webinars or articles um, in German, published in German medical journals with the German medical societies to say, you know, this exists, whether, you know, you, you know what these products are yet or not. I mean, this is happening. This is what some benefits have been. These are the products that are already in the German system. You know, so we're trying to convey some kind of friendly sort of peer-to-peer -peer information so that, and it's going to be slow, I think, over the next year, there will be more diffusion, more awareness. I think that's a big part of it. And like you said, you know, the pharma companies have these masses of market access people, commercial teams that go out. And I think, you know, maybe we could harness that too. I mean, especially if pharma companies are involved, it makes sense to invest in getting the word out. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, the relationships, uh, I kind of call, call it uh, the DTX is the cuddle with pharma versus making their own market access paths. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that will depend. You know, interestingly, you kind of said, well, you know, Belgium did some great stuff. Germany led the way with Diga. You know, Nice has been doing stuff for quite a while. I'll say pre-Brexit, of course, but how does that, does that all bubble up to the EU? Other organizations, uh, if I rewind back probably around two years ago, there was another organization, I'll say running around Brussels, uh, something with digital or digital therapeutics. So, you know, how does that all, does it all get synchronized or is it sort of each country, even within the EU is doing their thing? and other, other organizations working with you guys. Yeah, I know it's interesting because healthcare is one of the few areas which is completely independent of the EU. And so even it could be like a drug that is prescribed in Spain, you can't get in the UK or vice versa. And so right now there is no central European way to have all these you know, products recognized and the way they're assessed and so forth. We're working on that just because it is so new. And the European Union itself, you know, the commission is really heavily invested now in creating a European um, health data space. So that would mean interoperable you know, health data across the European Union, which means sharing standards, which means, ah, suddenly we have to work together <laughs> on health data. Yep. And so I think the confluence of COVID plus that, plus the fact that these products are out there and being used, whether they like it or not, you know, I think they like it, but it can't be ignored any longer. There's, you know, the, the wave right. is too big. And so I think the confluence of those three things is going to mean that, yes, there is some European recognition at some level. Um, and we are actually working on having a coalition letter recognized at the EU level. Just First, just what digital therapeutics are. And we're circulating that in Brussels. And, you know, it takes a bit of who you know and getting it in front of the right people. But there's been some good support so far. And, and of course, just timing, right? I mean, I don't think you're going to get much done in December. No, <laughs> no. And in fact, um, you know, the European Council seat is changing. But we're always in touch with, you know, the countries that are involved and upcoming. And it's interesting. It's actually really fascinating work. And I think there's the willingness to work together. I think there, there had been some resistance on some fronts at some point, but now I think everyone recognizes that this is the way to do it, not just for digital therapeutics, but for vaccines, for distribution, for telemedicine norms, all kinds of things. Like right now, because of Brexit, if you are using telemedicine and you're a physician in the UK, you cannot be working with a telemedicine company that's in Europe. You know, so all kinds of oddball norms that have to be worked out. And we want to ensure, of course, best healthcare for citizens here. You mentioned earlier also in Belgium that there's a very transparent process as you are going through this pyramid. What about, uh, I'll call it real world data on usage? I know, you know, a lot of the European countries were very open in like open health data, which I know I, I personally was tracking back, back, back in the day. Is there anything that's being actually published on usage of digital therapeutics across at least the countries that you're aware of or not yet? I think each company has their own data. I don't think it's been compiled in a way to you know, present the whole industry uh, in Europe, but there's been impressive uptake. I can send you to some companies and they can, they can tell you for themselves you know, kind of what that's been. Okay. But um, yeah, so we don't have uh, like a, a running chart of how many patients are engaged. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was less about DTA tracking this. I think it was more around, again, the transparency, like the the Gaia price, the pricing is very transparent. So to me, the question mm-hmm. would be the follow on, you know, what's the usage and the outcomes? Are they transparent? Are there talks about it? Are there plans about it, et cetera? But- well, 
Yeah, it's. I think there are. If you look, for instance, at the medtech innovation briefings from Nice, there's some some usage data. B Farm has published all of the DIGA that are accepted on their portal, and right now the the pricing is all there, but yep. the usage has not been fully implemented yet. So that data is is upcoming, I suppose. Um, and I suppose it will be public eventually, but they're looking at it after one year. So yeah, at various levels, I think you can find that kind of data, but there's no one source that I know of. Uh, any organizations, companies, again, let's focus on the EU that kind of stand out. So something that we should watch in 2021 closely or, or any countries. I'm, I'm going to kind of very broadly for you, any countries that you think are next to adopt some frameworks? Interesting. I think Finland is a place to look. I mean, it's a very small population, but they are so well poised and a lot of great companies there. Infrastructure is, you know, supreme. So... I think the Nordics in general could do whatever they wanted to in digital therapeutics with, with you know, drop of the hat. <laughs> it's not getting the framework someplace though. Other countries I think are not far away, but it just takes a long time to get stuff into legislation. So Italy, there are rumblings. Um, it would take some time to get it through you know, parliament there too. Spain is a regional system. And so each region, I think Catalonia and Andalusia are actually quite forward thinking in this. So there are several countries I could name. Mm-hmm. So what's next for DTA or I guess maybe specifically your work within the DTA? Uh, I mean, it sounds like you have a, a lot ahead uh, in the coming year, mm-hmm. <laughs> but kind of wh- what are the main goals for next year or 2021? Yeah. So 2021 looks interesting. It's, it's super exciting. And I think, yeah, there's just not enough time in the day. <laughs> so yep. one thing is, of course, to ensure that all countries are cognizant of the definition and value of digital therapeutics. Then it's having more physician engagement. So at national and regional level, even at specialty level, like the societies of endocrinologists, like we need to be in touch with them as well. So getting in touch with actual physicians and um, not having this be something that comes out of left field. And then there's, you know, having actual publication of some kind of recognition of the basic requirements for a DTX product in Europe. Um, That's something we're working on. And we see similarities in many of the frameworks. It's just a matter of pooling together the countries to have them actually discuss and agree and decide that there's a way forward with this. Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my journalistic partner on this podcast, Brian Dolan, who is the founder of Exits and Outcomes, and as I like to call him, the digital health detective. Let's see what question Brian has for our guest today. Okay, here's my question. What advice do you have for US-based prescription digital therapeutics companies thinking about commercially launching in Europe? So assuming they've already commercialized in the US with a prescription-only DTX, what are a few other considerations that maybe aren't relevant to their prior US launch that these companies should be ready for ahead of a commercial launch in Europe? Okay, well, thank you for the question, Brian. It's a very good question, actually. So I think a good thing for companies in the US to understand is the way that healthcare works in Europe, for one thing, and about the pricing is not the same pricing. <laughs> so the system in general, though, um, there is no central FDA. Each DTX, especially after May in 2021, will have to be CE marked under MDR. And so that requires a very specific set of of evidence, of post-market follow-up, of all kinds of things, which 
all companies need to be aware of and find a notified body and work to get that straightened out. And it could be that in Europe, and we're seeing this more and more uh, agreed upon, is that probably a DTX will be class two or higher. And so that's not the case in the US. That said, it does lend a good deal of credibility to DTX products just because that level of, of rigor is, is substantial. And so before embarking on that, look at the countries that you're interested in distributing and in, in what markets, because the requirements are right now different. And so if you can, and it's, it's not a one shot, you know, it takes care of everything, but if you can match the CE marketing requirements and evidence generation with what the countries require, I think you'd save yourself a lot of time and go for the high bar because um, doing the minimum is not going to cut it. Perfect. This was wonderful, uh, Jessica. And I guess, you know, as our listeners, you know, a key component of this is actually getting to know the person at the other side of it. So mm-hmm. I want to ask you a question. What gets you up in the morning? What is your why? <laughs> um, I guess to me, it's really fascinating how this is evolving, how fast it's moving and just seeing sometimes people who you, you wouldn't even suspect, you know, are open to changes in healthcare, which you know, 20 years ago, it was just really like you know, pushing on a brick wall. And so it's so encouraging. Um, and I think we really have a chance to revolutionize in a sense, the way healthcare is delivered and, you know, COVID, you know, be what it is. It's, you know, that's been the silver lining that there's a chance to, to really make healthcare efficient. Thank you very much for your time. Of course, the pleasure. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning into Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of mission-based media. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're then automatically notified when we post our upcoming episodes where I speak with dozens of leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Brian Dolan's Exit and Outcomes, you can always find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. You can connect with me personally on Twitter at HealthEugene or follow my journey of writing my first book, Heart Pill to Swallow, at heartpilltoswallow.substack.com. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time.